We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah O'Rourke from Labour Together to discuss Labour Together and in particular to discuss their new report that is going to be launched in a few days' time, Power Now, how a new government can decide things and do things better. Welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me, Will. It's great to have you on, Hannah. Now, the first question um, that I'd like to ask is for those who haven't heard of Labour Together, could you explain um, what the organisation does and, and, and what sort of its aims are? Of course. So um, basically, Labour Together at its heart is a network for people from across the Labour movement, all different factions, all different wings, uh, to think about the kind of longer term challenges for Labour. Uh, so not just kind of focusing on the immediate or the short term, but those longer, bigger questions uh, for our movement. Uh, you might have heard of us because we published uh, the election review into the 2019 election, uh, which we did by bringing together a kind of commission of people from across the movement at different levels, different factions, uh, where we basically co-authored uh, a kind of very extensive report into A, what's the kind of political strategy Labour needs going forward, uh, what were the kind of reasons that we've lost, uh, and why those are more longer term and not just short term, uh, and then also organisationally where we need to go. Um, so our work kind of is governed by that review. So some of our work is focused on political strategy and rethinking the kind of purpose of labour uh, and where we go forward. And then the other part of our work is focused on kind of organisational reform and thinking through um, how we can how we can kind of innovate and, and do more. Uh, so we cover quite a lot of different things, but at our heart, we're a, we're a network. Um, and the idea is to kind of broker constructive spaces where people with different viewpoints can come together. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, no, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> in, in, in terms then of the way that um, the different groups, as, as you mentioned, there are different um, people involved with Labour together from different uh, traditions of the Labour Party. And what, what sort of common goals exactly and what sort of particular policies do um, people coalesce around? Are, are there, um, for the benefit of the listeners, any particular types of change that you particularly want to see to the way that the Labour Party presents itself and the sort of policies that it's, it's putting forward in its manifestos? So one of the um, biggest pieces of work that we've done recently that was released back in January was uh, something called Labour's Covenant, which is basically a, a framework, I suppose, um, for rethinking how you might think about politics um, in the kind of coming age. So we sort of accept that things have changed pretty fundamentally um, and that you've got a changing geopolitical situation, which means that we've got to rethink some of the kind of core principles of social democracy. Um, so that piece of work came out of, it was a year long process of convening uh, many, many academics over Zoom, uh, all from different parts of the party, uh, to just rethink what that framework would be. Uh, so it covers a number of different things. So one is thinking through um, the idea of national reconstruction and having a sort of na national economic plan going forward uh, and what that might look like. It also covers concepts like the everyday economy, 
which again, Rachel Reeves did a lot of work on for us. Um, and then also looks at kind of how we, we think about things like the environment and thinking more about kind of uh, positioning that as nature um, rather than overly technocratic things. Um, and then finally looking at kind of, you know, power and um, devolution of power and what that means. So it kind of attempts to lay out a framework for where we need to go next uh, with a couple of policies of what that could look like, but mainly is focusing at that level of, okay, we're kind of creating the, the framework for how labor needs to think of itself going forward um, and how we can sort of begin to put together a vision for the country going forward, uh, which works. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of that deeper level of thinking slightly before policy, mm -hmm. uh, which is more around purpose. Uh, so that was a kind of big piece of work that we did in January. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned um, the uh, national economic policy and, and, and dealing with mm -hmm. the um, economy. Now, of course, that's something that's very important for a lot of people at the moment mm -hmm. um, during the, uh, the cost of living crisis. How mm -hmm. important do you think it is for the Labour Party to communicate effectively that there are things that could be done now, if, if, if Labour were in mm -hmm. government, that could immediately help people who are suffering with um, the cost mm -hmm. of living crisis? I think it's really key. I think communicating sort of how the cost of living crisis isn't, it hasn't just happened by accident. It's the result of a number of political choices. Mm. Uh, so one of the really interesting points about um, where the government is on, on some of this stuff, they sort of have their leveling up agenda, which hopefully with the Tory leadership, they'll sort of move away from, which allows Labour to sort of capture some of that territory, because mm. it is our natural territory, like making the country more equal is definitely our natural territory. Mm. But what's very interesting is when the government talk about things like levelling up, they kind of act like this has just happened and it's just a natural consequence that we've ended up with a more unequal country, when actually there are political choices that um, the Tory government has made to make this much worse for people. Things like not adequately protecting people's rights at work, things like not thinking through kind of the impact on people of, um, you know, tax cuts for different different. Uh, groups and you know these are the result of conscious political choices so i think labor needs to be much stronger about kind of painting our alternative and why our alternative will work because we have an ideology that is about economic reconstruction and equality um so i think yeah i think that's that's a really important thing for us to get get right Mm -hmm. And I mean, you touch upon um, the Conservative Party leadership and, and of course, um, levelling up, which has been uh, something that has been discussed a, a great deal in, in the last few years. In, in terms of that sort of more um, redistributive on, on, a, on a local um, level economic planning, do you think that um, at the moment that the Labour Party is cutting through enough with how it would invest in areas that are um, suffering somewhat from not the same sort of like economic support that other areas are. And if, if it's not quite cutting through, what, what more do you think needs to be done um, to state Labour's case uh, in regards to how it can benefit uh, communities, uh, particularly in the North and, and the Midlands, which have obviously um, been particularly heavily impacted, not just by austerity, but also by um, COVID and, and now the cost of living crisis? Well, I think this is where it goes back to that much longer term challenge of, you know, um, us thinking more clearly about 
what what how is our economy set up what things we're investing in what's an industrial strategy for our country going forward um and how we sort of make sure that we focus not just on like one model of generating growth but a much kind of deeper and wider way of generating growth and i think um that's kind of the big challenge for us um i think the government's leveling up paper goes some of the way but there are limits to where the tories can go on this so they're never going to kind of assert the rights of workers in the same way that we can we are the party of labor that's why we were kind of set up um so that's kind of territory that we could move into i mean one of the really important points is you know what unites labor's coalition because again when we did our 2019 election review we sort of laid out the challenge of how do we unite a kind of coalition of people who might have voted leave in one part of the country and then people who vote remain in kind of the city parts of the country um, and one way that you do start to unite this coalition is around this idea of work fairness um, the same problems that someone faces as say uh, working in a city um, as a kind of graphic designer will be similar to like what people face working in an amazon warehouse and it's mm. about that kind of sense of work so there are kind of areas into this which labor naturally can step into that the tories never can but we should definitely be owning uh, this national reconstruction uh, ideas because we, we are the party of national reconstruction like following world war ii it was our party that built the welfare state um so we, we are the people that construct new things uh, mm. it's in our history and it should be absolutely territory that we should be on and i think we've just got to be a little bit braver with painting how we do that and letting people know how we do that uh, because it won't be the same model that was used in world war ii uh, it'll look quite different uh, it probably won't be as top down um and we've got to kind of paint that sense of the direction that we're going in uh because i think it's our it's our natural territory and it's it's where we need to be mm -hmm. um you, you mentioned um different forms of work and the and the differences in terms of um occupations that people have across the country and i know that um John Crudas is, of course, involved in Labour Together, and he uh, appeared on the podcast uh, a bit back discussing his book, The Dignity of Work. And I think one of the yeah. things that um, he ar argues in that and, and, and mentioned in, in the podcast is the need to um, restore a sense of, of, of dignity in work, particularly in um, industries and, and, and forms of employment, as, as you mentioned. Um, Amazon workers, for example, have quite often... Um, suffered in terms of how uh, they have been treated in, in working conditions, et cetera. Do you think that that's something that's really going to help influence voters at a potential general election if Labour is to use that message about making um, work as dignified as possible and improving working conditions uh, as possible for people across the country? I think it's a really important part of it. Um, I think when we think about where do people feel agency and worth in their lives, work is definitely one of those things. Um, and I think what we've seen is people increasingly not feeling that at work um, and feeling sort of, you know, if your wages aren't going up, uh, if you feel like you're having more and more demands placed on you um, and you don't see any sort of like return for your efforts, people get increasingly fed up. Um, and I think that we can definitely key into those kind of feelings. Um, I think as well, it's about sort of like understanding where we come from. So our name is Labour. We are about labouring. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, we were built by the the um, 
worker movements. Uh, that's like why we were kind of created. Um, so I think this idea of kind of opposing some forms of sort of neoliberalism, which have allowed some of these rights to be eroded is a really important place for us to go. Uh, I think again, it like bends back into sort of like national reconstruction. Um, and it used to be that kind of the national interest was the interest of workers, like mm -hmm. the labor interest with like a small L, labor. Um, that was how we define the national interest. Um, so I think kind of trying to resurrect some of that thinking is really important in sort of creating this sense of a mission for our country. Um, and that being about, you know, how we labor, what we build uh, and, and what we want our country to look like going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's kind of a way into these bigger conversations um, and it can't be the only thing we say, but I think it's a way to sort of start to get people to see that, yes, their work is meaningful and yes, um, it's delivering towards these like national goals mm. um, of how we, we want our country to be. And I think that also ties into like broader geopolitical shifts right now. Um, so what you're seeing, particularly with sort of the Ukraine war, this idea of energy security is that countries are having to consider how are they sort of um, creating a sense of security in terms of their national economies. Um, and we need to sort of understand how, how Britain can do that. Um, and we need to be, be clearer about that. Um, I think that's definitely kind of the direction that we need to go in um, and give people that sense. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, I'd like to turn now um, to discussing the um, pamphlet, um, which is going to be uh, launched very soon, Power Now, How a mm -hmm. New Government Can Decide Things and Do Things Better. C could you just um, explain um, to the listeners how this particular pamphlet uh, came about? So this pamphlet came about um, as kind of a, a project that was uh, alongside Labour's Covenant. So Labour's Covenant definitely kind of develops a framework and an overarching kind of view for Labour together. Um, and then this particular pamphlet is looking at the kind of like mechanics of governance mm -hmm. and also kind of how we can take into account how power in our society has changed. Because um, if you sort of there's kind of older ways of doing things mm. and then there's newer ways of doing things and this is an attempt to try and understand some of those newer ways of doing things um so it was kind of a partnership between us and compass um who kind of were our partners on this project uh, and the basic idea was to look at um how has the way that powers has changed and shifted in our society how does that affect lots of different areas and then what impact does that have on the way a state might approach different areas or problems? Um, so we sort of used as the basis for us was a book called New Power, um, which you may have heard of, which is this theory that um, since the kind of invention of the Internet, uh, we've got a different form of power emerging. So it used to be that power was very top down. It was finite. It's something you kind of had or you didn't have. And it was handed from one um, hierarchy to another. Um, whereas this theory is that new powers emerged, which can kind of be created. Uh, it's more like a, a current or water. It's kind of quite temporary. Um, it's not hoarded, but it's it can be um, manufactured. Um, and the idea is that because the internet has allowed us to create new forms of relationships, um, power can kind of just spring out of nowhere. So if you think about things like the hashtag MeToo movement, 
that was a demonstration of power, which came from Twitter and it came from uh, people sharing their experiences of a common thing. And that was facilitated and guided by the internet. And that couldn't have happened before Twitter. So it's looking at this new form of power and trying to understand what are the good things about this and also what are the risks about this. Because as much as kind of new power has created things like Me Too, it's also created things like conspiracy theories. Mm. Uh, it's created new structures of the way in which we uh, talk about politics. It's allowed the spread of fake news. Um, and there are good things and bad things. And the challenge is, which this kind of original book lays out, which is how do our institutions and our old power institutions handle this, these new forms of power? Like what changes do we need to make in order to absorb these forms of power, but also check them and balance them? Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of like mission of the project was to think through, okay, in this uh, situation, uh, how do we update some of the institutions and political institutions that we have? We're going to take a quick break now to hear a trailer for the Centre Think Tank's podcast, The Centrist Podcast. Make sure to listen to the Centre Think Tank podcast, The Centrist Podcast. It's hosted each month by Will Barber-Taylor, who speaks to a mixture of academics, politicians and political activists. You can find out more about Centre on our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages, all with the username at Centre Think Tank. You can also find out more about the podcast on our website at centrethinktank.co.uk. If you want to appear in our podcast or know someone who may want to, you can use a contact form on our website and let us know more. Mm -hmm. How important do you think it is then, as, as, as you say, um, the new power uh, that exists is, is something that uh, can spring up qu quite quickly and, and have a, a very um, powerful impact. How important do you think it is to um, be able to ensure that it, it works seamlessly um, with government, to be, to be able to interface into that new power in a way that doesn't seem clunky? Because one of the things that obviously um, often happens uh, with, with, with governments, uh, particularly with uh, Westminster and Whitehall, is that sometimes it is uh, reluctant to change and, and reluctant mm -hmm. to engage with new forms of, of, of technology and new forms of discussion. So how important do you think it is being able to, to synthesize the two and, and how easily do you think it will be to, to, to synthesize the two? So I think um, it's a very important question because I think if we want to achieve a lot of the things that we outlined in the covenant, we need to update our statecraft, which is what we're kind of talking about here. Um, and that involves rethinking how the state interacts with these forms um, and I think it's one of those things that isn't necessarily going to win an election but will be incredibly important if we're in government um, to to achieve what we want to and it's something that you know our country is long overdue an update on a lot of this stuff um, but to give you an example that's a bit more concrete um, there is uh, you've heard of the universal credit system mm -hmm which is very problematic in many ways yeah. uh, in terms of like how it treats people. Um, but just on a kind of like systems perspective of um, how it's, how it operates and how people use it. What's very interesting is um, on Facebook, 
there's a group called the Universal Credit Survivors Group, which has hundreds of thousands of people on it. And it's all of people who use the universal credit system. And in this Facebook group, people post in the group saying, uh, can you help me with this question? I'm unsure of how to fill out this bit. Uh, I don't understand how to access this benefit. And then people will help each other navigate that system. Now, in, at the moment, uh, when the civil service is thinking about universal credit and how to design it and what systems you have, you'll probably have someone in Whitehall sit down and run a survey with some mm. users or run a consultation. And my question is, what would happen if actually uh, people working in Whitehall engaged with that community uh, and actually kind of went into that Facebook group and said, hey, we help run this system. What do you think needs to change? And that's like moving from a kind of top-down model of government to a much more responsive government. Mm. And when you think about like responsiveness, um, responsiveness is basically like democracy. So currently, the only way that people are able to kind of feel like the government responds to their needs is every four years an election. Whereas if we built in much richer systems of feedback and responsiveness into our government, we might have people feel more like the state is connected to what they need and want. So longer term, you might be able to start building back faith in politics, faith in our institutions, because they're rather than expecting people to come to them, um, they're sort of like more open to, to, to people and mm. people's organizing themselves. Um, and I think there's another concrete example, which maybe helps kind of illustrate this point, which is um, another way to think about it is whenever we talk about like democracy and devolution, often what people think we're talking about is more meetings. Mm. So more consultations, more sitting in rooms, more meetings and long, arduous processes. But actually, um, instead, if we think about democracy more like social fabric, um, it's a bit different. So, for example, say you've got uh, a football pitch on an estate and you've got a football team that uses it. Um, and this is a community resource that's used by the community. If, say, the council makes a decision to get rid of that football pitch, what you've got is kind of a resting democratic battery mm -hmm. where the people who value that have the relationships and the social capital to come together and organize to prevent that decision. So rather than necessarily like thinking about, we'll just have consultations, it's more like how are we creating systems where people are developing their own agency and their ability to kind of interact with the state and are, are our state systems more open to that kind of interaction? Because it's a much more um, going to where people are rather than expecting them to come to you. Um, and that's kind of the interactions that we're kind of thinking about in this project. Um, so it's quite a different way of thinking about how a state might function. Mm -hmm. uh, how popular do you think this kind of interaction um, will be? Because, of, of, of course, what you're talking about hasn't quite been in tested yet in, in, in the mm -hmm. way that um, obviously you would like and, and is advocated in, in the pamphlet. So how popular do you think it would be and, and how much engagement do you think um, it would get on a on a local level or, or, or even in terms of universal credit, for example, um, a, a specific issue related um, to, to people? How, how much do you think people would, would want to engage and engage with it? 
So I suppose it's not so much like expecting people to engage, but more the state going out to engage where things are happening, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's not like we're driving um, things as much as we're responding to things. Um, and I think it's one of those things that, again, as I've said before, this isn't going to win an election, mm-hmm. but it probably will change fundamentally how Britain operates and is governed. And if we're trying to kind of do the big things like level up the country or create national reconstruction, we're going to need new systems that are a bit more uh, responsive. And I think a good place to look for where this is happening is there are definitely councils, particularly Labour councils up and down this country, that are kind of experimenting with these new forms. Mm -hmm. So they are being much more open Uh, They are trying to understand how to engage with social fabric. They are trying to build the social fabric. Um, One really good example is some of the amazing work that's being done in Barking and Dagenham, which is all about thinking about how do you rebuild this kind of civic infrastructure that can then engage with a political infrastructure. Um, And there's also some very interesting work going on in sort of Camden around how Camden Council is engaging with different groups. So I think there are places that this is happening, but it's happening on a very local level. Mm-hmm. Um, what hasn't happened yet is a kind of national expression of that. Um, and I think, again, like, I can't say that it's going to be something that will be popular or win an election, but mm-hmm. it might just change how we operate. I think the other thing to bear in mind is that currently sort of people are having different expectations about how things operate. So the way that kind of new platforms and commercial companies interact with their customer base is very different to how um, the government interacts with people. Mm. And it's not to say that the government is a business, but people have more expectations over how responsive things should be. Um, So in light of that, it's really important to think through, okay, how is the state responsive to people? How is it transparent? How is it kind of ensuring that it gets... um, indications from people and how can we come up with more interesting forms of democracy and richer systems of democracy that allow us to do that um these are sort of some of the bigger questions that i think are going to be really important going forward um and i think you know this this project is just the beginning of trying to think about that um but again if we're thinking longer term about what kind of movement labor is and what it feels like i think something that's really deeply democratic and trying to do this sort of thing is an important part of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for coming on uh, the podcast. How we're coming towards the end. However, I do have one um, final question for you. Um, at, at the moment, we have, of course, been um, experiencing very hot weather, um, mm-hmm. which is beneficial for um, some people, not as beneficial um for others, but hopefully um, people listening to the podcast will at least be able to um, benefit from from some uh, warm weather. So my final Mm -hmm. question to you is this. If you had to go and get an ice cream with any politician, uh, alive or dead, and you had to pick the flavour of ice cream um, that they would want, that you think that they would want, who would you pick to go and have an ice cream with? And what flavour of ice cream do you think that they would want? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, so the politician that I would love to have an ice cream with, and I've always loved to have an ice cream with, uh, would probably be Nelson Mandela. Um, I think he was an amazing politician. I think he really understood like 
how to bring people together in a way that many other people don't. Yeah. Um, so I would love to sit down and have an ice cream with him. I don't know if I was supposed to pick like a British politician, but no, 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 any politician, any politician. I would love to have an ice cream with, and I just say, you know, what do we do? Um, and yeah, I, in terms of the flavour, uh, I don't know, just maybe a Mr. Whippy. I really like <laughs> Mr. Whippy ice creams. Uh, I know they were invented by Margaret Thatcher, but I really like them. Yeah. Uh, supposedly. Uh, so probably a Mr. Whippy ice cream. Uh, and yeah, I'd, it, that would be a really interesting conversation. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be a, a fascinating conversation and I'm sure that um, Nelson Mandela would enjoy having a, a, a Mr. Whippy and having a, a chat with you. Thank you once again uh, for coming on the podcast, Hannah. If people want to find out more about you, about Labour Together and about... Um, the pamphlet and when the, the launch will be, where should they go to, to find out these things? Um, so if you just uh, go to Labour Together, uh, the website, um, then you can find out lots there. Um, also, if you're interested in the Power Project in particular, just type in powernow.org.uk um, and that'll take you to the report, which will be launched on Monday. Um, so yeah, that's how you get involved uh, or follow us on Twitter as well. Uh, but thank you very much for having me. It's been great to have you on. Thank, thank you once again for coming on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at the Debated Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.